1: It's officially time to welcome in Peter King to the Brockmania that has swept throughout the Bay Area. And look, we're not trying to get too far over our skis. There are other other shows, other hosts saying this is the best thing ever. Uh, you know, it, 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 it we got a long way to go before it's that. But in terms of debuts, Peter King, have you ever seen a better third rounder? take the reins of a team that's supposed to go somewhere and make it appear that they haven't even hit a speed bump it was very impressive yesterday from brock purdy
2: you mean a third day or not a third rounder i mean because obviously brock purdy the end of the seventh round of the draft i think there's two things about this situation that i think are really really interesting um one is that um, I think that when you're a quarterback, especially, and I think I'm right in saying this, I think he played 48 games in the Big 12. I mean, look, let's the Big 12 is not the SEC, but it's also not the MAC, you know? Um, so, you know, I look at it and I basically say, people are talking about Brock Purdy who started for three and a half years in a major college conference. They're looking at him like uh, he's got, he, you know, I mean, like he's, like he's, he, you know, never played before. And And I think that is the first real misleading thing. It's funny, the other day I had a long conversation with Baker Mayfield about his game and I asked him, are you surprised that the 49ers didn't put a claim in on you? And almost like right out of the box, said a couple things. But then he said, hey, I'm telling you, I love, this is before yesterday. He goes, I love Brock Purdy. He said, I've always thought that that guy was tough, confident, really, really knew what he was doing, and and totally unprompted. And so I think his point was they wouldn't claim me. They got Brock Purdy, and that sounds so funny coming from a guy who was the first pick in a draft versus a guy who was the 262nd pick in another draft.
1: It's some Big 12 what? brotherly love happening right there. I mean, Purdy is, and you know, the number on its the surface, they're the 39th best ever. But when you think of all the quarterbacks that have ever played. He is the thirty ninth most prolific passer in the history of college football.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: He, he, you know,
2: look, he had a good career, and he lost a bunch of games, especially in his last year or so. And people just said, "Man, eh, that's the end of Brock Purdy." And plus, he doesn't have he doesn't have great quarterback size. As I said last week, I met with him last week, and uh, you know, he's six one. You know, so they say. I mean, he's probably closer to six. But but whatever it is, whatever it is, look, he's had a lot of experience, and I think there's one other thing. You know, I've always thought, I've covered the NFL for 39 years, and one of the things I always think that is a, a part of a quarterback's ethos that if he doesn't have it, he will not win. And that is the ultimate confidence in himself. And, you know, there were times the first team I ever covered in the NFL was the Cincinnati Bengals. There were times I would talk to Boomer, there were times i talked to Boomer and like after a game and I would think, what game was this guy playing in? He was talking about, you know, how many chances they had and what they should have done and all this stuff. And we had this and we had that. But that's the way you have to be. You know, it's like this in the Seth Wickersham story about Andrew Luck the other day, Anthony Costanzo, the former tackle of the Colts, said to Luck at one point that, hey, listen, you have to be the most confident guy on the team, whether you believe it or not. Because if you're not, people are going to see that. They're going to smell it and, and all that. And so... I think that's one of the things that quarterbacks have to have. And look, in my 10-minute meeting with Brock Purdy, I said, oof, this guy really thinks he's good. Not in a cocky way, but just like, he's not intimidated by saying Tom Brady's going to be on the other sideline. He thinks it's cool, but he doesn't say, oh my God, I'm not showing up. You know, he, he thinks he's got a chance. Here's the one interesting thing I thought after yesterday's game. So now Brock Purdy has played one full game at about 50 minutes of another, maybe 53-whatever minutes of, uh, of another one. So he's kind of, he played two full games. And, and you would think about Brock Purdy that if this guy can average 20, 22, 23 points a game, that's going to be great because the defense is that good. But, you know, look at what's happened in the first two games. I think I'm right in saying that Brock Purdy's put up 57 points in his, uh, in his you know, 105 minutes or whatever it is, 110 minutes. And so he's done more than we all thought that he, he would do. And so that's why, and again, look. It's silly to sit here and say, yep, the 49ers got a chance to beat the Eagles in the NFC Championship game at Lincoln Financial Field the last weekend of January. It's silly to say that because I don't know who's playing for the 49ers that day. Is Bosa going to be healthy? Werner going uh, to be healthy? Is Aziz going to be healthy? I mean, is, you know, I, I, I don't know because the 49ers play football like a rolling ball of butcher knives they are all out every play and so they tend to get a few injuries so i don't know who's going to be on the field if and when they were to play the eagles so i can't tell you who's going to win that game but right now if they faced off against the eagles i don't think brock purdy would get shut down by any stretch
3: uh, let me ask a not a stylistic question but a narrative question. What's the most apt historical comp just in terms of narrative to the idea of a third string quarterback getting the job in you know the, still with four or five games to play and still making a deep run what what's the, what's the narrative comp?
2: Well, I'd have to think about that. The one that the lazy one that comes to mind is Tom Brady. He was the second string quarterback, but the one commonality they have is that in 2001, which was the year after Brady got drafted, he basically was in an indoctrination session in the year 2000. He wasn't going to play. He was just there to learn about the game. Um, but, but, But I think starting in 2001 in training camp, Bill Belichick honestly thought in that year that if this guy needs to play, we might be better than we are with Bledsoe. And I know that sounds crazy because at the time Bledsoe was the highest paid player in football and Brady was a sixth round pick who nobody ever heard of. But I remember going back to training camp when uh, you know, when everybody was wondering about what was going to happen with the Niners and and how was a Trey Lance going to play, Garoppolo wasn't even in the picture at that point. But it was basically Trey Lance, Sudfeld, and maybe they could stash Purdy on the practice squad or maybe he'd be a number three. But he'd impress so many people so early in training camp. Kyle Shanahan was already, like, telling everybody hey, don't forget about Brock Purdy. He could be a factor at some point. And you knew, I, I'll never forget my first thought when uh, when they basically got rid of uh, Sutfeld, and Sutfeld ended up in Detroit. My first thought was, and this is amazing, but he, he has that's how much confidence that Kyle Shanahan has in Brock Purdy. And obviously he's borne out that conference. So Brady is a lazy person way to look at it. There must be a good third stringer, Ray. If I had been able to think about this for 10 minutes before this, I'm sure I would have thought of somebody. But the only person I can think of low pick coming absolutely out of nowhere, you know, in the last whatever 20 years or so is Brady.
3: Um, and now the other qu- the question that... That strikes me with all the the Brock Purdy stuff. How much easier is it for him to run an offense with that defense as a cushion and Christian McCaffrey to hand off to and to throw the ball to in the backfield as many times as? He is? is this the easiest job a third string quarterback has ever had?
2: Well, maybe, but you know, Ray. Brock Purdy would be an idiot if he said, hey, I only have to score 17 points or 20 points and we'll be fine. I mean, he's not going to think like that. He just isn't. And so he's thinking, we're going to score every time we touch the ball. So I really don't think he thinks like that. But as far as in reality what the job is, I think the reality of the job is very much like you say, that, you know, don't turn it over. I mean, I think even though I think I'm right in saying this, guys, you would know this, right? I think that in these first two games, the Niners have had to burn three timeouts total because they were getting down to it and they didn't want to get a delay a game call. Um, maybe one or two, or all three of those were because of communication issues, uh, you know, between the sidelines and and Brock Purdy. I don't know, but the fact is, and I wrote it today, and I forget how many plays, whatever, like a lot of plays, one hundred and twenty plays or whatever. And Brock Purdy has not had a delay a game yet, and and so you know you would think that that's because. Brock Purdy knows what he's doing. He knows the offense. He knows the calls. And he can get them to the players very, very quickly. And look, I could tell last week when I was in there, when I was in their locker room after the game, there were veteran guys who were talking about this almost with a shrug of their shoulders like, you know, he just picked up, you know, where our offense clearly would want him to that he, he, he wasn't struggling with any aspect of the job. And you also notice that in both games so far, one time in each game that I've seen, he got the crap beat out of him on a pass rush. One by Jalen Phillips last week uh, against Miami, and then yesterday, I forget who, but it was very early in the game, one of the first plays, where he just got leveled. Um I think it might have been Keanu Neal, I forget, but it was somebody. And but but anyway, my, my whole point is he's just not affected by it. And that is from having played in forty eight games in the Big Twelve and having come in as confident as a player can come in.
1: He's a tough kid. He looks like he's got a good head on his shoulders, he sees the game, he feels the pocket and that's a good place to start. Peter King with us here on Damon and Ratto on 95.7 The Game. And, Peter, it's really hard to measure an hour before every minute has ticked on by. But given the fact that he's having a degree of success, even though Jimmy Garoppolo isn't a typical second string quarterback, you know, uh, maybe it's unfair to say that. Trey Lance wasn't a typical first string quarterback. Jimmy takes over and now it's it's Brock Purdy. Given the fact that Kyle is not only the coach of this team, but the GM who swung for Christian McCaffrey, given the fact that, you know, D'Amico Ryans is getting the credit for the way this defense is playing, this defense has been hand-picked by Kyle Shanahan as the general manager in conjunction with John Lynch. Is this Kyle Shanahan's finest hour?
2: Well, you would think that... Um... When he has designed an offense that is quarterback friendly enough so that a guy who was the 262nd pick in the draft, regardless of his college experience, nobody else wanted him, regardless of the fact that he now has to play the 262nd pick in the draft, in two big games. You know, obviously, the the game against two of the most electric offense, electrifying offense, whatever you'd call it, in football uh, nine days ago. They're certainly not now. But just this incredible offense comes into Santa Clara, and the defense handles them. But the defense handles them, certainly, but they, they, they also... You know, even if the defense was just okay, Brock Purdy played well enough in that game to, uh, you know, to make sure that they were going to score enough points. And I think, obviously, the weird game that yesterday was, the one thing I would say about it, because it's a cliche to say Brock Purdy against Tom Brady, but what, what that showed me yesterday was that, you know, as i say as i said a minute or so ago Brock Purdy is totally unafraid of everything he's unafraid of a good pass rush which Tampa has um he's unafraid of the the storylines the plot lines headed into the game he's unafraid of you know obviously of playing Brady and he has taken what Kyle Shanahan has, has educated him about and he basically has made it so that I'm just out there playing football. And that's the thing. You can tell if a guy has happy feet, or you can tell if a guy is not ready for the moment. Zach Wilson of the Jets, when he played the Patriots and threw two out of his three picks in the game, were absolutely absurd. They were just terrible throws, horrible decisions. Zach Wilson was not ready for the moment. For whatever reason, maybe because his college days, maybe because... You know he's worked so much with Shanahan and 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 Garoppolo and Lance and all that. Whatever he's ready for this moment, and that's one of the reasons why now I don't think anything this year is out of the question for the Niners.
3: Uh, the, uh, the 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 uh, the rest of the league, you know, is starting to sort of hit a wall here or there. I mean, Dallas had trouble getting past Houston and I'm exempting Philadelphia in this, but I asked Mike Lurvin this earlier, and I'll ask you, given that the 49ers have hit their stride and have now been at full stride for six weeks now, is there such a thing as peaking too early or... Yes. Okay.
2: Yeah, because, hey, Ray, you know why there is? Because when you peak too early, I guarantee you that six weeks from now in their biggest game of the year... The 49ers are going to have five or six personnel issues that we did not see coming. Every team will, almost every team. The Eagles have been remarkably uninjured, remarkably whole. I think they've only missed one of their starters on the offensive line has missed like two or three games. But, and the rest of them just played them all. And so, that to me is something that says to me that that's a hugely valuable part of it. It's not necessarily peaking too early, but can you keep your team whole? And I'll never forget this. My second and third year covering the National Football League. I worked for Newsday in New York. I covered the New York Giants. In 1985 and 1986, the New York Giants had what I would say individually were mediocre players on the offensive line. You know, Brad Benson, Carl Nelson, uh, Bart Oates was a pretty good player, but I mean, they, they 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 were they were just they were pretty average offensive linemen. But you know what was interesting? You add in Mark Bavaro, and those six players—the five linemen and the tight end—started 32 games in a row in the regular season. And so you know what happens at that point? The chemistry becomes a huge issue. It's a huge factor. So the o- the only reason I mention that is that very few teams today are the same on December 12th that they are on January 25th. Things happen. People get hurt. You know, injuries happen. And so as of right now, I would say... I wouldn't necessarily say peaking too early. I would simply say that if you told me that, and, and if you told me Debo Samuel was back, if you told me everybody else was in the the, the, the same situation they're in right now and they're all playing, I give the 49ers a 50-50 shot of going to Lincoln Financial Field and winning the NFC Championship game. But, you know, as Bill Parcells once said, they don't sell insurance for that kind of
1: stuff. Peter King with us here on 95.7 The Game. A huge game for the 49ers in Seattle because it's the fork in the road of keeping the pedal to the metal or winning your division. And just on that alone, you know, your, your playoff spot is secure. Obviously, health is paramount. Should the 49ers, looking at a regressing Minnesota team, Try to chase a two seed. I mean, I'm obviously not going to go out and try to lose. I any don't
2: think it matters. Games. I just don't think it matters. I think Kyle Sheehan, you know, uh, Aziz al-shair told me something in the locker room last week that he goes, you know, so many teams, you know, have this mindset that we will we'll be okay next week, we'll be fine. I'm not that worried. We're not that worried about not playing well this week. He goes, we don't care. Uh, He said, that's definitely not our attitude. We play every game, you know, like it's the most important game we've ever played. So a game in September matters exactly the same as a game now at this time of year. And I mention that because like my opinion is I, I think, I think sometimes, sometimes, and look, The 49ers need to win this game uh, for a lot of reasons. I don't think for seeding purposes, but I do think that it's pretty important to make sure you win this division. And if they lose this game Thursday night, they breathe life into a reeling team. And I'm not saying that Seattle will win the division if they win Thursday, because I think even if they win Thursday – they're not going to win the division. That's how good I think the 49ers are. But you don't want to let them up off the mat. Having said that, if your trainer comes up to you and says, hey, Bosa is, you know, he's going to go, but I'm worried about him making this injury a little bit worse. Sit him. If I were, If I were Kyle... I would be thinking very, very seriously about limiting the amount of play that that Bosa has, knowing that you've got ten days after this game before you're playing again. And that to me, that mini buy coming at this time of year is utterly fantastic. I think it's a huge edge to the Niners, knowing that they can take Friday, Saturday, Sunday Monday. And I don't know how Kyle Shanahan will work the rest of this. Uh, it, what I mean rest is, you know, resting players. But a lot of coaches will say like, let's say coaches would normally come in and have players come in on Monday and then on Tuesday they'd give them off. A lot of coaches now say, listen guys, take these four days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and we'll see you on Tuesday. Because it, you know, they're telling him, get off your feet, rest, you know, do what you need to do to take care of yourself. But I think having that mini-buy at this time of year is a big advantage to the Niners.
1: Peter, this Niners defense has held opponents scoreless for an entire half, eight different times so far this season. That's the most in the NFL this year. And it's the most by the franchise in a single season in at least 52 years. Wow. And, you know, uh, sometimes just one guy, and maybe it's a less heralded guy, can be the difference between really good or great. I'm thinking that guy might be Dre Greenlaw on this team. He had a career-high 15 tackles, pass deflection, an interception of Brady, which Brady was nice enough to autograph that football for him after the game. But uh, I, Dre Greenlaw... Just like we were talking about last week, like, two, um, you know, uh, Talanoa Hufanga is not getting enough press n- enough yeah, attention. Yeah. Uh, Dre Greenlaw might Drake be the next Greenlaw. in the line. Yeah.
2: Look, he's on my very short list right now. Normally, you think, well, you know, you pick a linebacker for your all-pro team. You're going to pick Fred Warner. But I- I'm thinking very seriously about Dre Greenlaw. There's a bunch of really, really good linebackers in the NFL right now. You know, some of whom are really flying under the radar. Greenlaw, it's hilarious, but I watched this little press conference after the game that, you know, when he was talking very sheepishly about he's a little fangirl, you know, (laughs) wanting to get Brady to autograph it. Uh, And, you know, he's, but, but look, give credit right here to Adam Peters. Give credit to John Lynch. Give credit to Shanahan. And I'll give credit for an excellent linebacker in his own right, D'Amico Ryans, for developing the instincts, the instincts. Look, the athleticism of these guys is good enough, but I think because D'Amico Ryans played the game at a very high level, he can see how good guys like Dre Greenlaw and, and you know, and, and Fred Werner are and all that. So I, I, I think... I think the team that is developing, that is drafting and developing players on the defensive side of the ball, I think we all thought that Robert Sala would be a really, really big loss, and he has been a big loss. But the fact is, D'Amico Ryans was ready for this job, and D'Amico Ryans has his fingerprints all over Dre Greenlaw.
1: As a... uh... A guy who, you know, carried the banner of Sports Illustrated in his career. Uh, any thoughts on, on the passing of Grant Wall?
2: Well, other than uh, I hope I don't start crying because I've been talking about Grant a lot in the last few days. And, you know, Grant Grant Wall was everything you would want in a colleague, everything you would want in a friend. Um, you know, and I've told this story a few times over the weekend, I went to the sports illustrated was delighted to send me to the world cup in South Africa in 2010. And I wanted to go, I thought it'd be a cool assignment. It's kind of in the football off season and everything. So I go to the world cup and I am under grant Wall's supervision. And he's telling me everything, get to know this goalie, great guy. He's going to be the key to the U S hopes. So I spent 45 minutes one day with Tim Howard, this goalie for the U.S. He goes, "Go meet uh, Bob Bradley, the head coach of the U.S. team. Uh, he's a Parcells freak. He loves the. He's a Jersey guy. He loves the Giants. All that." So I told him 10 stories about Parcells, and he was a rapt audience one day. So, you know, but Grant understood. The currency of information and how to basically be able to do your job better. And he wasn't, he was never selfish about it. And I just think that there's so many young people in our business today um, who really owe so much to Grant Wall. And even though I was 15 years older than he was, um, I owe so much to Grant Wall for his perspective, for, his absolute total passion. There was nobody. Uh, I, I don't think anybody loved his game more than Grant Wall loves soccer. I mean, Paul Zimmerman loved football. He didn't love it more than Grant Wall loves soccer. Peter Gammons loves baseball. He did not love baseball more than Grant Wall loves soccer. And it showed every day when he did his job. I just think that as this sport gets so big in the United States. The saddest thing is that the bard of soccer in the United States, who would have written 50 memorable stories in the next 20 years, who would have ushered in everybody in 2026 when the World Cup is in the United States and in all of North America, he would have been your tour guide and your person who told you, educated you the most, and entertained you the most about soccer of any media person in the United States uh, was Grant Wall, and we'll miss him professionally, and I know I'll really, really miss him personally.
1: The pouring of emotions from all directions speak to the life he led not just like you said professionally but personally as well and i thank you very much for sharing that uh, about him i know we I, I didn't even plan on asking you that but i i'm glad i did peter thank you for joining us it's always a pleasure
2: guys a pleasure being on with you thank you
1: t-mobile has invested billions to light up america's largest 5g network from big cities to small towns including right here in yours